Today we're starting a new series that I'm very excited about called Elements. Uh, In this series we're talking about certain behaviors and attitudes and character traits that are foundational to our lives as believers, as Christians. And they are elemental to who we are. Now, uh, if you're not a Christian, uh, these don't necessarily all apply to you, but you get to sit and have a little sneak peek at how Christians are called to live, or the standard that we claim that we're supposed to live up to, and you can sit there and go, I knew they don't do that. I knew they were all hypocrites, and that's true. We are all hypocrites. We are all claiming a standard of perfection that we are trying to live that we probably never will get close to, so if that makes you feel better to hear somebody admit that, that's fantastic, but for those of us who are believers, we are looking at these behaviors that are supposed to be kind of the basics, the foundation of how we live our lives as Christians. And so we're calling it elemental because it's the building blocks. If you've ever had any amount of time in a high school chemistry class or uh, maybe just a high school science class, you're probably familiar with the periodic table of elements. And I am not going to spend much time talking about that so you can have a sigh of relief there. But things like oxygen and gold and hydrogen, nitrogen, all these things, they're the building blocks of our world. Well, likewise, the things we're going to be looking at should be these building blocks of how we live our life. And that's why we're calling it Elemental. And basically what this series is going to be on is is what's called the Fruit of the Spirit. And we find this list uh, written by a guy named Paul who went around the ancient world planting churches. And it's in a, a letter that he wrote to a church in Galatia in the fifth chapter. He just calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so my hope is, if nothing else in this series, you would be able to say that list when we're done. And Because and, let me say... I don't know that because I'm an awesome Bible scholar. I know that list because when I was 19, I helped at a church camp, and a camp team, I think from Lincoln, came down and they sang that dumb fruit of the Spirit song that is so catchy, and it weaseled its way into my brain, and I will be able to know the fruit of the Spirit until the day I die because of that song. And so you will hear that song, I promise you, before this series is over, because if nothing else, it helps us to remember, how are we supposed to live? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so we're going to be looking at one of these elements each and every week. This week we will be looking at love, love which is the top of the list. But before we get to that, we've got to talk a little bit about fruit in general. Uh, The New Testament talks a lot about fruit, believe it or not. And fruit is always something that naturally shows up. Fruit is never a surprise. It is something that is expected, and it always comes from a very expected source. And so we're going to look at a couple passages real quick in Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 12. Now, for those of you that are doing the New Testament and 90 days reading plan, if you're caught up, you read these passages this week. So uh, this might sound familiar to some of you that are doing the reading plan. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Jesus warns some people. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And then he kind of seems like he's talking about something totally different all of a sudden. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is no. Fruit comes from expected places. Grapes come from grapevines. Figs come from fig trees. You don't find them in these unexpected places. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He's saying these false teachers, you will know them because their heart is not in the right place. And that will show itself in their lives. Their fruit will show. And then in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, Jesus says this. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And I think that's true. If I saw a lemon tree out of season, I don't think I could tell you what tree it was. But if it had lemons hanging on it, I think I'd be pretty quick to figure it out. Okay, you can tell a tree by its fruit. You are, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For, for, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So he's, he's saying by fruit, he's talking about these actions, these attitudes that come out of us. They come out of us because they represent what is actually going on inside of us, in our lives and in our heart. And fruit is never surprising. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. If you've got goodness in you, goodness will come out of you. If your heart is full of evil, evil will be what comes out of you. And so um, we should be living lives producing fruit of the Spirit, because as believers, we should be living with the Holy Spirit inside of us. And just to kind of give us a little basics of Christianity here, when we become Christians, and we are baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, giving the trust for our lives and our eternity to Him, Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, giving us strength and power to overcome our old sins and live a new life that pleases God and honors God. And so our lives should be guided or be lived in step with that spirit living inside of us, not at the direction of our own desires. I don't just do what I want to do anymore. I, was, I tell stories every now and then to Becky or Ben or things I used to do, and it's like, man, I like now Anthony a lot better than like high school Anthony, because high school Anthony was stupid, and I'm not totally smart yet. I still got a little stupid in me, but I'm way better by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit than I used to be. And so there is a difference between walking by the Spirit's guidance, being full of the Spirit, and therefore living with these character traits of God, because you have God living in you, than living a According to your desires. In fact, Paul in Galatians chapter 5, before he gives us the list of the fruit of the Spirit, he gives another list right before that talking about how your life looks when you live according to just your own sinful desires. He calls it the sinful flesh. And here's that list in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He starts off by saying, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Excuse me. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Meaning that often what you naturally want to do is not the way that God would have you walk in your life. He says they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Uh, which is difficult, because sometimes I want what I want when I want it. And that's in me, and that's in you. And we all kind of have that little kid throwing a tantrum in the toy aisle at Walmart. That, that's all inside of all of us. And we want what we want when we want it. And we don't want anybody to tell us differently. But God has called us to walk a different road. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh, or you could even say the fruit of the flesh, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying here is not that there are certain behaviors that are uh, unforgivable, that there are certain sins in your life that Jesus won't forgive you of. What he's saying is if you live like this, chances are you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you and therefore you aren't a believer in the first place. And so he gives us this list of things. Okay, we'll get to this, this part in just a second. Let me go back one. There we go. So, 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 so Paul gives us these two lists, how the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, when we live according to the flesh, we will do those evil things. And then we become a Christian, and hopefully we have a new life in Christ and a new life in the Spirit. Uh, I was listening to a webinar the other day, just this little online uh, talk this, this guy was doing. Uh, about leadership in the church, and he, at one point, started taking questions from people. You could type in and submit a question, and a lot of the questions had kind of a similar tone to them, and so they kind of grouped them all together and read them all, and it was, what do I do about the fighting in my church, or what do I do about the gossip in my church, or what do I do about the people in my church who act nice at the meetings, and then they get their little team together behind the sides, and then they, they kind of show up with, to the elders, and they're like, you do what we want, or we're not going to come anymore, and we're not going to give anymore, and you'll be sorry, and what do we do about these divisions and all this stuff? And he just kind of st- paused for a minute, the speaker did, before he answered the question, and he said, or he, and he took us to Galatians 5. And he said, isn't it sad that there are so many churches that are more known by the fruit of the flesh than the fruit of the Spirit? So many churches are full of anger and fighting and selfishness rather than being overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that sad? And it is sad because churches, churches are weird They just are. I don't know if you've ever known that, but if you spend time in any church, we're weird in our own way. Every church is a little weird. But what's really weird about some churches is that there are certain behaviors, sinful behaviors, that will be allowed, accepted, and even subtly encouraged as long as in the public gatherings everybody plays nice. As long as you sit in church for an hour and smile, and when someone asks you how you're doing, you say, fine, isn't God good? And you don't gripe about anything, you don't complain about anything, you listen to the sermon, maybe you take notes in your Bible. You can, as long as everybody plays nice in public, you can go to an elders meeting and raise all kinds of nonsense and be angry and say things. I've even heard of church leadership meetings where people got punched, right? I've heard of these crazy things. And, and they say, well, you know, it wasn't that bad of a meeting. What, that wasn't that bad of a meeting. Like, what is going on in this place, okay? But behaviors will be allowed and accepted just as long as, you know, we kind of keep the dust settled when everybody's here. And, you know, you know, we just don't talk about the family business that's going on behind the scenes, and we just kind of sweep everything under the rug. But that is absolute nonsense because we are not called to put on a brave face. We are not called to wear masks that say, I look like Jesus one hour a week. Look how good I am. Look how good we are. That's not what we're called to. We are called to be transformed from the inside out and to no longer live the way that we is natural to us, the way that we want to live. I want to be vengeful sometimes. I want to have fits of rage. I want to be selfish. That is in me, but I am not called to that anymore. In fact, Jesus died so that I could be freed from me and I could live according to God and the Holy Spirit that lives in me. A better way more fruitful way. And that's why Paul goes on and gives us the actual list of how we should live when we are living according to the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's read that again all together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We'll come back to that in a second. But those who belong to, Je- uh, to Christ Jesus have, been cruci- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, which means old Anthony, with all his desires and stuff, he should be dead. When I give my life to Christ, I should be killing that guy off. He should go away. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I don't live by the way I want to walk anymore. I walk according to the guidance and the ways of the Holy Spirit living in me. Now, I love that Paul says, against such things there is no law. Because, uh, like many of you, I've had a few run-ins with the law in my life. Okay, I've got a pretty substantial speeding ticket in some other state one time, back in another time in my life. I've gotten pulled over for out-of-date stickers on my license plates and all of that. Um, probably my most fun run-in with the law, and I'll say that. It's, it was kind of funny. Um, a bunch of my friends in my hometown, there was a, a rent-a-center and they had the big window out front, and you could look in and see all the appliances and furniture, and they had a big, huge, giant, big-screen TV in the front window. And so one night, I don't know, like 8 o'clock, we all took lawn chairs up there, and I took a, a universal remote, and I programmed it for the TV, and we turned to, to Cartoon Network, and we turned the volume all the way up so that we could kind of hear it through the window, and we called Pizza Hut, and we ordered a pizza to the sidewalk in front of Renna Center, which if you've ever done that, it is very difficult to get a pizza place to deliver a pizza to a sidewalk. They, that took a lot of doing, but they did it. And so we're sitting there eating our pizza thinking we're awesome, you know, we're so cool, pulling pranks and stuff. And the police came eventually and they were like, what are you doing? And we kind of explained it to him. He was like, well, you guys have to move along. But he did give us, he said, I'll give you some points for creativity and loitering. I was like, well, thanks, I appreciate that, you know. So we felt good about ourselves for that, okay. So I had a little bit of run-in with the law. So everybody's had little run-ins. You got pulled over for this or that or whatever you did when you were young and stupid. Um, but he says, against the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. Like, no nation in any time or any place is going to create any laws against any of these behaviors because everybody knows these are good things. Th- these things make the world a better place. No one is going to get a, have the cops come knock on your door and just say, hey, stop it, you're being too peaceful in here. You're not going to hear that. No one's ever going to get pulled over for being too self-controlled while they drive. Lots of people are going to get pulled over for having no self-control when they drive, okay? And I have been one who should have been pulled over a time or two, so I understand that feeling as well. But, but nobody creates laws against the fruit of the Spirit because everybody knows that they are good and that they are beneficial. And so these things are supposed to be elemental parts of our faith. As Christians, when somebody looks at us, they should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those should be parts of our lives. And so if I ask, am I loving? Am I kind? Do I have a lot of self-control? Okay, If those things are supposed to just be a part of me and flow out of me because of God's Spirit, or if I'm living according to God's Spirit, sometimes I don't like the answer to that. I don't know how many of those I check off really well. And that should make us think. Now, this, this list of fruit of the Spirit, it's not in any particular order, I don't think, with the exception of the first one, love. So many times in the New Testament, love is championed as the highest and greatest of all things. And it is no different here. I think this list starts with love because if you are loving, the other things will kind of find their way. Excuse me. Now, 
one thing before we get to talking about love is I've talked about love several times this year, and I've had a lot of sermons specifically devoted to the topic of love, and the reason for that is because I think if there's one thing our culture has really gotten off track on, it's the idea of love. We've made it very much a selfish thing, um, because when you watch you know, romantic comedies, and love in the Bible, by the way, is not just a romantic thing. Uh, but when you watch, you know, movies about love or anything like that, it's all about, I need to find someone who will make me feel a certain way. That's what love is. And so love isn't about me doing anything. It's about you making me feel something. Well, the problem with that is that feelings come and go. And so when I stop feeling that certain way, then it's not my fault. It's your fault because you stopped doing your job. You stopped making me feel that way. And since you stopped doing your job and I don't love you anymore, I can sever the relationship and move on with my life. And that is not the love that we see God modeling for us in the pages of Scripture. The scripture that Jesus shows us and the, script, or, and, the, and, or the love that Jesus shows us and the love that we should be producing by the Holy Spirit should be a sacrificial, giving, over-the-top, generous love. It is a love that has the best interest of others at heart, that does for others with no expectation of anything in return. And one thing I hear so often um, from couples and, and, and that are having trouble in marriage is something like, you're not meeting my needs. But when you look at the real love in Scripture, it's a love that does with no expectation of anything in return. And so it's not a problem of you meeting my needs. That love has such an outward focus, and it's so extreme in that respect that it's often very difficult for many of us to even wrap our brains around. And one thing that we, I think, miss when we get our picture of love from our culture is that love is this thing that's on, it's only wonderful and safe and fun. And now, I'm not saying love is not those things. There should be moments where love is wonderful, and it is fun, and it does make you feel safe in certain ways. But at times, when you are living out the biblical type of love, of giving and sacrifice and doing for others to the extreme, sometimes that love can be very dangerous. I love a C.S. Lewis quote when he talks about how vulnerable love makes you. He says this, if you've never read anything by C.S. Lewis, he's a, he's a real smart guy. That's all you need to know, real smart guy. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung out and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, that is your heart, if you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. We've all had pets, most of us, okay? Um, I, I had a couple dogs in my life, man, and, a, and one cat who was awesome. And if you don't like cats, and I'm not a big cat guy, but she was awesome. And so uh, I, I saw her take down a, uh, what was it? Was it wasn't a Doberman, German Shepherd once. Like, she was a tough cat. I love that cat, okay? <laughs> so, and I mean, I mean when, I, when I lost them, man, I just sobbed. I mean, I had one a couple years ago. It was... Um, Palm Sunday, Abby was pregnant with James, and we had to come over here for a baby shower, and he, this dog had heart trouble, and we knew that the day was the day, and we were going to be gone all day, and we were either going to have to get up at 4 a.m. and take him and have him put to sleep, or we were going to come home that night and find him dead. And so we thought, we don't want him to suffer all day, so we got up at like 4 a.m. on Palm Sunday, and I don't know about you, but when I get tired, I get weepy. 
So I'm losing my little buddy already, and it's four in the morning, and so we take him into the emergency animal clinic and have him put down. And we're all driving home, you know, with puffy eyes and tears. And so I come to church, and we do church, and then between church and the baby shower, I buried him in my backyard crying as you dug the hole. I've done all that stuff. And then we came back for the baby shower, and then I went home, and I remember going into our back room at night after this long day, and I'd been up since 4 a.m., and just weeping like a baby for a few hours, or for not an hour, for like 30 minutes probably, just weeping and weeping because my little my little friend was gone you know and so I, if you even even an animal I love that he puts that in there because you can fall in love with them fuzzy little faces okay so if you want to make sure that your heart never gets broken never gets wrung out you must not give it to anyone even an animal wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries avoid all entanglements lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness but in that casket safe see it's safe in there you'll never get it broken but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. Whoop, excuse me, went back. There we go. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So you see, love can be a very dangerous thing. It is not all going to be pain-free, joyous, um, happy endings they all lived happily ever after like uh, rom-coms show us that it can be. In fact, one of the greatest definitions of love comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter and we read it at weddings, but again, biblical love is not just romantic. Hopefully, if you're a believer living like Christ, living Christ-like love, this love should show up in your marriage, okay? So it does apply to marriages. It's just not limited to marriages. 1 Corinthians 13, Holy smokes, I'm getting carried away. He says, love is patient, love is kind. Huh, already we're getting two of the fruit of the Spirit there. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Isn't it interesting that the things he tells us love should be, several of those were fruit of the Spirit. And the things that he says love is not were things that were fruit of the flesh. Love is a very different thing, a very dangerous thing. Because why would love have to be patient? Unless there were going to be people in your life that would try your patience. Why would love have to trust? Because there's going to be times when it's not easy to trust. Why would love need to be forgiving and self-sacrificing and keeping no record of wrongs? Because at times there's going to be people who wrong you and wrong you and wrong you and you are going to be forgiving and wipe that slate clean every time. Not because it's good for you necessarily, but because it's good for the relationship and it's what you do when you're showing sacrificial love to other people. Why does love not need to be easily angered? Because there's going to be some times where people make you want to lose it. And real love, man, that's dangerous. It's difficult. And when you put yourself out there and when you're showing that kind of love, it can be dangerous for you. It can lead to pain for you. And if you're only coming at the topic of love with this romantic comedy, everything's happy and wonderful and puppy dogs and kittens and rainbows and lollipops and butterflies, if that's all you think of as love, you're going to come to this and you're going to think, wait, no, 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 no. God is loving. There's a lot of people that just want to say, oh, no, because God is love. Nothing bad ever happens. God is love, and so he has my best interest at heart. God is love, so therefore he wants to make me happy and give me everything I ever want and every disappointment. That can't be from God because God is love, and he only does good things for me. It's a very limited view of what is good. It's a very limited view of what God has in store for you. 
And if you want to understand God's true sense of love, all you need to do is look at Jesus. The greatest example of love led him to pain, led him to disaster for his own life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What this verse is saying is that the greatest example of love, that God's love was most clearly revealed to us by Christ coming into our world and going to the cross and dying for you and dying for me. And he loved you with a passion that you will never fathom. He loved me with an intensity that I could never understand. And that love did not lead him to only joy, only safety, only fun, but it led him to a very painful ending of his own life on the cross. And though it led to pain, it started the greatest blessing that we could ever hope to give. So he did something amazing for us out of love, but it caused him pain. That's why I say love is dangerous, because if we are to live and have that kind of love, at times we will end up suffering to show that love. We will end up hurting to be this kind of loving. So I just wanted to start there because I want us to have a very clear understanding of what biblical love is. Because as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, it's not just this wonderful, I know fruit, fruit makes you think something happy and something skippy and the song fruit of the Spirit, it's a lot of fun. But sometimes walking the road of Jesus means picking up your cross daily and following him in a very real, real way. And so... Uh, I don't really know how to apply this because to love people, it's such a broad, broad statement. And to try to give you something, a little take-home statement that you can keep with you all week on how to love, it's a little bit difficult. So let me just close here. If the people in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people who sit next to you and watch how you behave at ball games the people who hear how you talk about other people when those other people aren't around, if they were to look at this list of fruit of the Spirit, and maybe we just showed them love, would they say that your life was marked by love? The people that see you when you're actually being you, because, you know, I only see most of you an hour a week. You could totally buffalo me. I could think you're the nicest, sweetest, most kind person in the world. But, you know, when you leave here, other people know how you live. The people that see you every day, would they say that your life is marked and defined by love. Because remember, Jesus said good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. And what is inside your heart, it will find its way out into your life. If you have selfishness and anger inside of you, it will come out and it will manifest itself in how you live your life. But if God is in you and you are trying your hardest to live in step with who God has called you to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, then there will be fruit that starts to grow in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just to say it one more time. That will show up in your life. Maybe not all of them. Maybe you're not going to be acing it every single day, but they should show up in your life. And so when you look at maybe people in your life that you're called to love, called to show this type of love to, I don't know who you might have in your life. You might have people that are just near impossible to love. You just had the holidays. Surely you got that family member, right? And I always heard somebody say, hey, if you can't think of that family member, it's you. So think about that. Um, that's, that's a fun gift for you today. Take that home. Um, 
but you've got that person in your life that's difficult. They're, maybe they're just annoying. They don't understand social cues. They don't understand when the conversation's over. And even when you're walking away, they're following you. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, that person that's just, it's so difficult for you to make that extra effort to love them. And I don't know who that is in your life. And I, so I don't know who you're called to love, but I do know how you're called to love. You and I are called to love like Jesus. And we are here to lay down our lives for people, even if it hurts even if it leads us to something painful and something that is unpleasant. But that kind of love that's more than just fluff, that is what makes a mark in our world. That is what changes things. That is what makes a difference in the world we live in when we show this love that Jesus has shown to us. And so as we take communion this morning, servers, if you would do us the uh, kind job of preparing to serve us, as we take communion, that's what I want your mind to meditate on. The simple word of love And the definition of love is Jesus. The definition, the greatest example of love you will ever be shown is Jesus coming for you and dying on the cross. You didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, you lived your life in opposite ways that pleased God. He had had no obligation to come and serve us. He just loved us, saw us in our evil, and came for us even though it got him nothing. And he gave his life for you and for me. Love is sacrifice for the good of others, and you will see that no more clearly than in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to honor you and remember the sacrifice of your son in communion. I pray that as we, uh, the trays come by and we get our, our stacked cups of bread and, and juice, that we would remember, they would be a very physical representation of what Jesus did for us. The, the broken bread would remind us that he was whipped, he was nailed to a cross, his body was battered beyond recognition. The, the, the juice would remind us of his blood that was poured out, that he willingly gave his life for us. No one took it from him, but he gave it as a gift of love. And remind us that it was love that took Jesus to the cross, not a powerful government, not angry uh, religious leaders, but it was his love that drove him to the cross and his desire to free each and every one of us from the bonds of sin so that we would no longer live a life that led to hell, live a life that produced fruit of the flesh, but rather we would be on the road to heaven and our lives would be fruitful in the best possible way. Help us to understand love today as we get into these fruit of the Spirit and hopefully as we start to pay attention to what our lives are producing and what kind of fruit is showing up in our lives, I pray that we would start first and foremost with just being in awe of the great, amazing, sacrificial love of Jesus. May that truth never be lost on us. It is the most foundational thing to our faith, and I pray that we can wake up every single day in awe, going, wow, I can't believe you love me this much. Thank you, God, for Jesus. We pray all this in his good and holy name. Amen.